This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. In this episode, we brought in Chloe Misdagi, and we had a great conversation about women in security and also hacker rights. These conversations don't happen quite often enough. So it was great having Chloe on the podcast to share her thoughts and learn more about her and her background. If you love our content and you want to stay up to date on the latest and greatest, please visit us at Hacker Valley Studio and check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Hacker Valley Studio. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley Studio with your hosts, yes, Ron sir. and Chris. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again with an exciting guest, Chloe Mestagi. She is VP of Strategy and also a hacker advocate at Point3 Security. Such an honor to have you on the show. I'm a huge fan of the work that you're putting out and watched uh, several of your YouTube videos. I wanted to say thank you from me to you for all your contributions in cybersecurity. But most importantly, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you guys for having me. This is fun. I'm already having fun, you guys. (laughs) I'm glad. Chloe, you are an incredible person, just first and foremost, even before I knew you, I saw you everywhere. You're a part of so many different organizations. And when we started doing research on you to prepare for the show, we found even more organizations. It's <laughs> insane. So for people that don't know who you are yet, would love to hear a little bit more about your background and what you're doing today. Sure. So some people know me working over at Point3 Security, but I also am one of the co-founders of WOSEC, which is Women of Security. I also run the SFA area chapter. And then I also created another organization called Women Hackers. So it is for non-binary women to connect all over the world in a safe community where they support each other. But everyone is a hacker themselves and they hack at all different levels and different items. And so it's really cool because we do like these live workshops once in a while. And also we just do fun things. Like, for example, last week, I think we had like a makeup tutorial where I got to hang out with, with Gabby or Gab Smash and also Asset Goddess, which is which was just amazing. It was a lot of fun with Allie, by the way, with those that know her by her first name. <laughs> so what exactly is a hacker makeup tutorial? Um, so what happened was that, so I was just kept pushing technical content to women hackers. And then I got this one request, which was like, hey, I really don't know how to do makeup because no one really taught me and I probably should learn and I don't really know what to do about my face. So how do I take care of my skin and whatnot? And so basically that idea was there and I just, I forgot to go running with it because I think it was around RSA time. So it was a little crazy, but then someone tweeted out responding to someone's post saying, Hey, we need a makeup tutorial for women hackers, so it's like, okay, okay, it's happening, it's happening. So then I connect uh, Gap Smash and uh, Asset Goddess, and we just came together, like, let's just do this. And each of us have our own way of doing our face, in a sense. And we use different products, which was great because we had this live Q&A. So we had a lot of guys also join asking questions like, what do I do about my dark circles? Or what if, what should I use if I have oily skin? 
how do I know if I have oily, dry, normal combo skin? So this was like probably the most, I would say, quote unquote, girly thing I've ever done in my whole life is doing a makeup session. But there was a hacker twist to it, of course. Oh, that's super cool. If you don't mind me asking, how did you actually get into the cybersecurity arena? Great question. So I was doing humanitarian work. And then from there, I went into doing some side projects of management consulting for some stars because they're kind of similar nonprofits and stars because you have a lack of resources and you need to grow very uh, fast, but very lean. So I basically was doing that for a while and I was traveling quite often, working from home quite often. And I got kind of lonely and I kind of wanted to like go in an office space. And so I put my resume out there and there was this job and it was within cybersecurity and I just applied anyway. And the person contacted me was like, so would you like to work for a cybersecurity company? I'm like, sure, why not? I would love to try it out. And yeah, and my first job was over at Kenna Security. That's how I got in. And then within the first two weeks, I just wanted to learn everything I could about InfoSec. So I started doing readings about how, like, should we look at hackers in a negative way? Because remember, majority of people outside of InfoSec still think of hackers in a negative way. So I was like, I wanted to know what's the other side of that. Because that's like the one thing I've always done is I always question everything. So I wanted to know there has to be another perspective here. And then the more I got into the hacker community, the more and more I ended up loving it. And that is how I kind of got into it. Very nice. So it sounds like you're definitely interested in the hacker rights. I saw a few of your videos out there. And for anyone that hasn't seen them, definitely uh, would recommend them. But when you're looking at, uh, I know that you've done stuff with Bug Bounty and uh, now you're looking at strategy. But when you're looking at these types of things, how do hacker rights play into the grand scheme of being in cybersecurity? Well, I would say that Bug Bounty and uh, vulnerabilities disclosure programs open the door for like not just you know organizations and companies, but also for government to acknowledge that hackers have this capability and they shouldn't be prosecuted because they want to do good things. And so that's the one thing about bug bounty and vulnerability disclosure programs. When they started showing up and government started, you know, hack the Pentagon, hack the Army, hack the Navy, they started showcasing publicly of a support for ethical hackers. So in a sense that this was the starting point to changing the narrative of you know, the the face of a hacker. So it's not the one in the black hoodie. Granted, I am wearing a black hoodie right now. We'll talk to you. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not wearing a ski mask. So there, haha. No. So the, that's one of the things is that the bug bounty field is something very, very important. And honestly, right now, especially because people are dropping zero days like no, like nothing before. Like every single day, there's something. And it's really the help of having a, a platform or having a program that you can communicate that without having to worry about being prosecuted. I think that's the most important thing. And I feel like every company should have that. And believe it or not, 93% of the Forbes Global 2000 list still do not have a vulnerability disclosure program. So that means like whenever I'm looking around to submit a vulnerability, Sometimes it'll take hours to locate someone or days. And then sometimes most, and I'll be very transparent, about 60% of security researchers do not 
report a vulnerability when they find it because they're worried about being prosecuted. And that's because they are sort of going by feel and by opportunity rather than going through things like, you know, legitimate bug bounty programs? Believe it or not, yeah, it's it's basically if there's a platform involved, like BugCrowd or HackerOne or Synac, usually there's a contact person there. There also tells you very specifically what's in scope, what's out of scope. And when you're looking for a, well, not looking for it, but if you come across a vulnerability and want to report it and they're not on any bug bounty websites or whatnot, and they don't really have a VDP program of their own, this that puts you in a situation where you have to choose. If I report this, are they going to come after me? Because, for example, the Computer Fraud Abuse Act, CFAA in the U.S., is anti-hacking law. Basically, you could be prosecuted uh, without permission. So whenever a researcher goes out of scope, they tend to use this act to prosecute hacking. And so that's one of the issues that we are facing because of this really, really out-of-date law from 1984, which was created by Ronald Reagan when he watched war games. It's still very much active. And even when people are trying to do some good hacking, and by good hacking, I mean reporting like real bugs here, as an ethical hacker, they're being prosecuted. And that's the thing that it's getting to a point where now we're all working remotely. We're all working from home. We're using the internet more than ever before, I'm assuming. And we're dropping zero days like never before. Yeah, these these laws are definitely out of date and it's not supporting the hacker community uh, because there's still this real ideology that hackers are bad people. So... I've always been curious with when I'm looking at these, you know, definitions like hacker rights and bug bounty, I start to question like, all right, what exactly is a hacker? What is, what is that? How do you define that from your perspective? So I would say hackers that are doing something ethically, they basically they're working to keep data safe legally from attackers by finding security vulnerabilities that can be mitigated. So in other words, there's like they have the system owner's consent and sometimes they are employed by the target system owner and sometimes they are paid in money or just, you know, just plain on thank yous. Right. So also one of the things that I used to think when I was first getting into cybersecurity, and I'm sure that, you know, you you know a lot more about this subject, Mm -hmm. but when I was, you know, buying devices like gaming consoles, I was thinking like, all right, I could probably do some recon, do some research on my console or on this device or or software that I have and see if there's any vulnerabilities in it. But it turns out that that might be crossing some type of legal line. Is that right? Yes, those are anti-circumvention laws. So those are usually the copyright acts. So we in the US, we have the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which was started in 1998. So basically the right to repair, reverse engineering is seen as a breach of property. Yeah, it seems like this would be the perfect time right now. Everybody's working from home, maybe have so much extra time to like get into something like that. But I guess you might want to think twice before trying to break into a piece of software before you have the permission. Yes. And honestly, check out, there's a website called Disclose.io, which really showcases different companies, where to contact, what's in scope, what's out of scope. 
what to expect if you do report a vulnerability. Do you get a reward? Do you get swag? Do you get a thank you? It's, I feel like every company should be listed on there, to be honest with you. I think I, the fact it still blows my mind that there's so many Forbes companies out there that are not doing this. Wow. It sounds like you're doing a really good service by just highlighting you know, the things that people need to know if they're doing some of the vulnerability hunting and, and some of the ethical hacking stuff. One thing that I wanted to ask you about, just to pivot just a bit, is Ron and I are compulsive readers. We read all the time. <laughs> we, we go from one book to the next and it's just, there's no end in sight. But you actually have a book club. Could you tell us a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah. So I have, I started this, the Hacker Book Club. Basically, the idea came to me when I was talking to Tara Wheeler, because she has this book called Women in Tech. And I was like, you know what? Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing a Hacker Book Club? So basically, what that means is that books that are written by hackers, and the hacker community reads them and then reviews them. So this helps support our community. And so basically, we started off with uh, Women in Tech by Tara. And now for this month, we started uh, Tribe of Hackers, the original one. And we had Marcus Carey join us as well, which is really cool. So every time like you come and join the Hacker Book Club, you will have the authors join. So you get to know, ask some questions throughout it. And we have some more upcoming books. We have Hacking Connected Cars with Alyssa Knight. We have Cult of the Dead Cow by Joseph Men. We have the Countdown to Zero Day from Kim Zetter. So these are all books that the authors are going to be joining us at the same time. So we read a new book every month, and some of them will be technical, some of them are non-technical. I don't know if you knew this, but Ron and I are actually Tribe of Hackers alumni. Ooh. Ron was in two editions, I believe, and I was just recently in the newest Security Leaders edition. So that's really awesome. So you know, you just basically sign yourself up to joining this month on a Tuesday at 5 p.m. <laughs> Pacific time. We, we I, will be there. Yes. We, Excellent. We will make it happen. <laughs> yes. Do it. Because I was thinking, it was like, you know, Trevor Hackers, if those that do not know, has various people that were interviewed with 14 questions in the original book. And people responded and it showcases who they are, their personal self, and then also the work self and their advice, their failures, their winnings at the same time. It's a really, really fantastic opportunity to read different profiles of different people. So I thought like for this month, I'm going to have various people that were actually in the Tribe of Hackers to participate throughout the entire month. So yes, please come join. Awesome. That would be, yeah, that would be great if we could join into that. Out of curiosity, what's been your favorite book that you've read since the start of 2020? Oh, that is a good question. So it is not a technical book. <laughs> and it's not from the Hacker Book Club yet. But it was this book. Oh my God, what is it called? Hold on. Hold on. I'm trying to recall here. It was something about foxes. I know it. This is this is why you should not be reading too many books at the same time, people. You'll <laughs> yeah. forget. Okay, it's called yeah, exactly. It's called Fox Eight. It's it's a very short book, but it's and I, I'm going to be very honest about it. It is depressing too. So just be aware of it. It showcases the life of a fox in, a, in an urban setting. And by urban setting, like around houses and humans and all that, trying to explore and understand the humans around him. 
And it's really good. It's, it takes it to a different level. It's very strange for me to recommend this book because I'm very nonfiction. And this is very, very fiction. But it was some, my most recent book that I really enjoyed. Wow, that's awesome. One thing that is a good thing and bad thing about my personality is when I see a hole in anything, when I see a hole in an organization, when I see a hole in my household, when I see a hole where, you know, there's something missing in community, I have to, I have this compulsive need to fill it. And, you know, thinking about all the organizations I've been a part of, you know, that's been a a big driver for that. When I look at you, you, you're a part of so many different things. I have to ask, what is your drive to be a part of so many things and drive so many initiatives? So for myself, I think has I've always been like that. I always since I since I was little, to be honest, I just felt like if I see something that needs to be fixed, I don't. Oh, who's going to fix it? And that's that's the reality. It's just looking around and asking the question, "How can I improve this?" And that's what I do like all the time. Like that is if anyone asks, what's the question I always ask and is how do I make something better? So whenever I find a situation that needs to be fixed, I will do whatever it takes to do so. So that means connecting with the right people to get advice, or that means working with certain organizations to launch something. But yeah, whenever there is a situation that needs help, I'm there always. Wow. One of the things that I've also observed is it seems like there's a lot of leadership qualities that you, you know, obtain you you have within you. Was it easy to get started after you pivoted into cybersecurity, putting content back out there, going public and giving talks at conferences? What did that journey look like for you and Ooh. and was did that come natural? <laughs> um so I would say that before going to InfoSec, I was very much driven like before on trying to change things, making the world a better place. I know that sounds very cliche, but it's actually very true. So for me, I've been a board member since, I don't know, since I was like 21. So I've been board members for various nonprofits to try to help with their strategy and to make things better. So that was never a problem. Speaking in front of people wasn't a problem. I did acting here and there. And I also did dancing as well, except that I'll, I'll be very transparent. I have a big fear singing in front of people, which I'm trying to work on this year because I know karaoke is a big thing in InfoSec. So one day, you guys, one day, maybe you'll take multiple shots of something. But uh, <laughs> one day, one day. Could put it on the opening. <laughs> there we go. So, I mean, for me, I've, I've never had those struggles. However, I have to admit that when getting into InfoSec, I was overwhelmed with not seeing people like me. And what do I mean by that? I mean, I remember when I started working at Kenna and I looked around the office, it's like, huh, I'm used to seeing like 50-50, like men and women ratio. And this is ridiculous. And then not just that, but it's like pretty much everyone's white. I'm going to be very real. <laughs> Everyone is <laughs> white. Um, and it wasn't just that Kenna because I was like asking the question, like, why is it like this? Like, this is weird. So I did research. And, and at that time, there was a statistic that came out that 11% of those in InfoSec are, are women. And that just crushed me because I was like, oh, so this is why we're in the future with technology and everything. But we're working in the 1940s era, too. And so 
it was really crazy because and previously before I never really saw my gender being an issue because working humanitarian or education fronts like you know you're kind of it's kind of equal in some ways and so <laughs> I remember like just being in boardrooms and being silenced when coming up with an idea or going to a conference and having to worry about my personal safety um, that was very different. And then looking, when you go to a conference, you look around and it's just a sea of white men. It makes you feel really uncomfortable. And I remember just in my first year in InfoSec, not even within the first year, I was like, I got to get the hell out of here. Like, this is terrible. Wow. Like, this is probably the worst industry I've ever seen. That's literally what went through my mind. And, and I remember at RSA, cause the epiphany moment was before RSA, I was writing a blog post about the fact that only 11% of women work in InfoSec. So I interviewed all different women from different titles, different companies and whatnot within InfoSec to hear their stories. And when I was hearing them, it was going through one ear and then like diving somewhere back, back of my brain until I had an epiphany moment when I was at RSA uh, conference in 2018. Basically, I was in this lecture room and there was only two other women besides myself. And I was like, please say you're not an assistant. Please say you're not an assistant. So we both were. And I remember wow. going to the restroom down the hall. And like I looked and on one side, it was just this, this long line of men. And then I walked into the women's restroom thinking, oh, maybe the line's inside the restroom. There was no one in there. And I remember walking, and I know that's really weird to talk about bathrooms and whatnot, but it's a real reality check because usually there's a long line for women always. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> there was no one in there. And I remember walking to the hotel room, and I was, like, taking off my makeup. And then, like, somehow, just, like, in the middle of nowhere, it all hit me where all those voices of those women that were sharing their stories when I was writing that blog all hit me all at once. And I realized, holy crap. I've been dealing with discrimination for a whole year, like, and I didn't even recognize it. Like being silenced yeah. in a conference room, being asking if I'm the PR person or asking when are the drinks or food coming out to me, which is weird. Don't do that, people. And it just, and not just that, dealing with men slacking me or tweeting at me saying anything from like, I can't please my wife at all at yeah. hours. Yeah. Or anything that's inappropriate in a sense. And and I just, it got to me. I was like, well, if this industry doesn't want me because the way I look and they're not taking me seriously, what's the point of me being here? If there's no future for me, why am I here? And so basically I was like, that's it. So I was like, started a plot and going elsewhere. I was going to go work for another tech company or go back to like working in humanitarian. And then I went to this conference called Day Security in San Francisco. It was in June. I think it was on June 16th too. And I walked in a room and it, it was, it was so amazing. There was 200 plus women in a room. And for the first time since joining FOSEC, I felt, Oh my God, there's more women in here. And this was my first time also getting introduced by Twitter InfoSec. I know I'm, I was really late to the game, you guys, but <laughs> I, all these wonderful speakers talking about their life and sharing their wisdom. And I just thought this was so beautiful and empowering. And not just that, I mean, there was a long line for the restroom. You can only imagine. 
So, uh-huh. oh, I was just like, this, this would be great to see in a sense where you don't need an all women's conference, but that you see that there's this many women attending a conference. And so I remember going home and I had all these ideas. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm going to write a CFP. I'm going to submit a talk and I'm going to talk about the lack of diversity and inclusion infosec and how we can fix it by looking at ourselves and at each other of what we're doing wrong. And so I basically crafted out a CFP. Then I created uh, slides. I submitted my CFP for Las Vegas summer camp. And then I also stayed up making a long list of all the things that I want to create to showcase women in InfoSec and what I can do and play my role in creating this. And that is, and I stayed up until I think noon. So if anyone's out there, Sometimes the creativity happens at the most random times and you can have epiphanies that are really bad at any moment. So I just, yeah. And and that's the thing is leadership comes from within. If it's something you're passionate about and you know, there's not a voice for it, you have to do whatever you can to, to go forward with it. And if you can't, there's always going to be people out there that are willing to share your story. And sharing stories are the most powerful thing in changing anything. Absolutely. That is that is that was amazing. Thank you so much for for sharing that. I bet you weren't so, you were so happy to see that it, it was taking you 15 minutes to use the bathroom. Oh my god, it. yes. No, I seriously, I was just like, okay, so there's no men here. Why are we still in this line for women? <laughs> like <laughs> make these non-binary restrooms. Come on. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, you know, and that's one of the reasons why Ron and I do the podcast, not just as black men trying to be a beacon or an example for black men across the world, but actually the people that we bring on to the show, the people that are beacons for their, you know, for neurodiversity, for cultural diversity, gender diversity, like all we want to be as inclusive as possible on our show, just to show people that are of these different populations that there are people in cybersecurity making it happen. And your your story resonates with me because I actually felt that way when I first got into the field. I felt like I was kind of on the outskirts. It really wasn't until last year when we started the podcast, when I started working at Netflix, when I started actually putting things out into the community that I really felt accepted. So I think for people hearing your story, that's going to resonate with so many people. Yeah. And and that's the thing is like the more we share our stories of not feeling part of it or being isolated, I think it's even better. Yeah. And if anyone's out there that wants to share their story, like contact me, let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) So was this, uh, this CFP that you're talking about, was this last year, 2019? So, so the CFP I submitted, it was very late in the game because it was like, in June. So I couldn't submit it to like DEF CON or to Black Hat or besides Las Vegas. But it did get into this one conference called Diversity. I think it was, was it Diversity? Hacking Diversity Conference, I think, or something like that. And I just remember it was, it only happened that year. And I submitted it. And that talk actually is a talk. It, it changed after the first time I gave it. And I used that talk throughout last year. So last year, I went to 
various different conferences for the first time ever to be a speaker. And I kept talking about these um, situations. So I got to do that talk also at ThoughtCon, which was really cool. And oh my God, so many of them. Besides Rochester, I think was another one. I saw, I saw your website and you had like, I know with coronavirus going on, it's probably halted a little bit, but oh, yeah. your year was looking pretty stacked. Oh yeah. Like last year I, I went to over 30 conferences and gave talks and this year was going to be pretty much similar to that. And I was like, okay, so traveling every week, that's cool. I get to explore new places, but at the same time, like none of that's happening now, which is okay. If anything, it just means that all this content becomes much wider spread. So then if you're doing anything there that wants to change or impact the community in a positive way, now you have that ability to do so. Yeah, I think with all the content that it sounds like you're working on and, and that you've already put out, you've you've already made a, a big impact to at least one person, if not uh, many, many people inside and outside of the field. Based off of the impact that you've provided to the community, what have you what have you observed from your perspective? What has been like uh, a notable event or something that you felt like you really made a change to? I would say that. Last year, Tanya and I, we were able to host a WOSEC event over at RSA. And that was a game changer because it was that moment where we realized RSA is taking this seriously now. So that was a really big deal for us. And I think that was a, that was because the previous year I almost left because of RSA. So this right. was like, this was the moment where we were like, oh, this is amazing. That was definitely one of those moments. But overall, I would just say that I I continue and continue to be impressed with the community and how supportive we are. If you want to do something good, there's always going to be someone there who's willing to help you get there and to help you out on a new project. And if you have ideas, go to people and like start things. This is the time to do so. Yeah, I, I recall last year at RSA, like that was all I really heard about was WOSEC and the the presentations, the representation of women, and also like the awards and recognizing women's that are, women that are doing excellent work inside and outside of the field to promote more and more diversity. What are some of the reasons why, of course, women should join these organizations to be around more women and create more diversity, but what are some other things that they could get excited about with uh, these organizations that you're working with or are a part of? Yeah, well, the first things is that because there's not too many of women in InfoSec still today, it gives you a supportive community that provides resources and a a time for you to network and connect where you feel like you're in a safe environment and other women are there to help you. There's people from all different um, skill sets, all different titles, doing all different things in InfoSec, and they can really help you get a better idea of what's in store, what could be in store for you but also to support you in any way possible. So WOSEC events, it's really cool because we, the whole idea of it was that we don't allow anyone to pay for membership fees. We don't have membership fees. And the reason for that is like women are getting paid a lot less than men. So why should women continue to pay for things? So the whole thing is that every WOSEC chapter, we have over 30 chapters around the world. They have their own identity in a sense that some areas they'll do a weekend brunch once a month 
Or if you're an SF, it's going to be kind of like, we'll do panel and networking on a Thursday night with drinks, of course. So the, the, the whole thing about WISIC is that it just gives you like this really cool environment of people wanting to, you know, help each other, get to know each other. So then none of us feel isolated. And so we feel that we have support. Now, Women Hackers is different because it's not a physical location or a chapter. It's a place that anyone and everyone can be part of. So it's a very different uh, environment. It's one that's very supportive. And as we're growing towards a thousand members, we're the wow. more and more we're growing and trying to make sure that we provide technical things, that we provide job roles. So for example, if any companies are looking to hire, they contact me or women hackers, and then we post their jobs. And also people in the community within women hackers post jobs. So this gives a really good place for, especially if it's your first time getting to InfoSec, there's people there that are going to guide you through it. Now, if there are situations like HR situations, you know what I mean by HR situations, there are support, emotional support in there too as well. So it's a really cool community. It's just women, you need to stay together through the thick of things, like at the end of the day, because you need that community. You need those people to understand who you are, where you're coming from, to be able to be there so you don't feel alone. If anything were to happen, you have a community that will help you find a job a community that will help you stay your ground if you're battling something. And that's the most important thing. Wow. Chloe, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. Just keep going. We, we really appreciate all the stuff that you've done. Any way that we can support the stuff that you're doing, please let us know. Yeah. And for anybody that wants to stay abreast of all the things that you're doing, all the organizations that you're a part of, what are some ways that people can stay in touch with you? Sure, Twitter. I'm going to be very real. Twitter is going to be your best friend. You get to see a lot of cool content of my pup called Sherlock. She's a Shiba Inu that acts like a cat. She's amazing. It's a place where you get to hear all the different projects or if I'm sharing any work of other like colleagues or my community members or my buddies are trying to do something positive, it'll be on there. And there's two things that I'm right now working on. One is during COVID-19, a lot of us feel isolated at home and we miss talking to people or connecting with people. So I partnered up with Mental Health Hackers and what we're doing is creating a pen pal system. So there's volunteers in the community that are willing to take calls to be there for someone else. You can talk about your Netflix uh, shows. You can talk about anything on it. And the volunteers are then connected with the people that are being requested to meet with someone. So it's kind of like a pen pal system. So that's one project that I'm working on. The other project I'm also working on is if you go to my Twitter, it's pinned at the top. It's the petition for ethical hacker rights. I need to get a thousand signatures on there so I could do something about it and get some attention on it. So we're, we're almost at halfway point. So need to get a thousand signatures as soon as possible. Well, you yeah. just got two from us. Yes. <laughs> oh, I've already signed it. You, you're, you're late, Ron. You're uh, way uh, late. <laughs> Ron, I mean, what were you doing this whole time? Now? Signing the petition. <laughs> <laughs> Chloe, again, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing your stories. This was an outstanding episode. And... Yeah, just thank you, and we'll see everybody next time.
Excellent. Thank you guys for having me.